This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. What is up, Scuttlebutt Nation? Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Scare of Scuttlebutt Podcast, live edition here on YouTube. And if you are here for this first time and you discovered this channel, thank you very much for coming on by and hanging out with us this Saturday night. We usually have uh, our live shows on Saturday here on YouTube, and then we've got uh, our more structured audio shows uh, that drop uh, every Thursday morning. So just in time for the Thursday commute, Pop on your uh, favorite podcast app and uh, load up the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast for some deep nerd dives. We uh, tend to talk a little bit about everything, uh, mostly Star Wars, as you can see from my background. But uh, we are nerds uh, that hold different uh, membership cards. So we'll be able to talk about uh, Marvel Comics and Star Trek, uh, the as I like to call it, the other white meat. Uh, so all sorts of sci-fi and, uh, geeky things. So, uh, very exciting stuff. And, uh, I want to thank my chat folks in the chat that are starting to pop in. Thank you very much, guys. Um, this is, uh, this is going to be a, a really, uh, interesting discussion, a really great show. Um, I've got, uh, author, uh, uh Gary, and I'm gonna, I remember, um, I had asked him how to pronounce his, uh, last name, um, earlier in the week benjir and i I'll, I'll ask him when he comes out but um absolutely um it's going to be a very interesting discussion as you guys know i love not only do i love science fiction you know the the fake uh laser sword pew pew aspect of of this uh genre that we uh, all love talking about but i uh, uh you know from time to time i also love talking about uh, you know some real science um and uh i think uh this is going to be one of those times that uh, I get really excited about stuff like that. Um, you know, being uh, having been born in 1969, I remember um, I guess I, I, I remember my mom telling me about the uh, space uh, the landing on the moon because it happened when I was born. But uh, ever since then, I mean, I was just very fascinated with NASA and space travel. And obviously my love for uh, science fiction comes from that. Uh, so you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Gary has written a book called Unfettered Journey, and uh, we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, the uh, description is in the uh, the or the link is in the description below. If you guys are interested in checking out the book, um, I would. Uh, yeah, I would uh, highly recommend it. But um Let's see a couple of announcements. Uh, we are uh, dropping a new episode audio wise uh, in the podcast app uh, next Thursday. I got together with a friend. Uh, we t we did a uh, five questions episode and it's really great. Um, he came up with some really deep questions and um, he uh, he surprised me. And I think it's one of those, uh, you know, the five question show is one of those shows where we kind of uh, we formulate five questions. We don't ask each other beforehand and we like to ask um, each other uh, during the episode as we're recording. So all the answers are off the cuff and from the heart. Uh, so, uh, you know, it gives us an opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the folks that follow, uh, follow the account and, uh, friends of the podcast. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. Um, look for that in the, uh, in the podcatchers. Uh, there's, uh, also, uh, another sentry mode section in that, um, who is on there? Uh, Nick Meir from uh, Nick Flicks podcast. Uh, I asked him a couple of uh, movie questions and uh, we'll see how he does on uh, next week's uh, Century Mode. So um, I'm going to push a couple of buttons and say hello to folks in the chat. Thank you guys for showing up this Saturday night and uh, we'll bring Gary out right after this.
This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. Exciting stuff. Gary, how you doing today? I'm doing great. And I love that explosion that starts everything out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Fiction. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Gary, did I get your your last name right? Benjir? Yes, it's uh, Gary. I go by Gary F. Benjir is my author name. Excellent. And the F is for future. See what I did there? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> or, or, or unfettered, as in unfettered journey, my book. Yes. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah. It came out uh, in 2020 in the middle of COVID. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. I wanted to backtrack a little bit because I wanted to ask um, your background in not only science fiction, obviously, you know, we, uh, we talk about the, uh, the fake stuff, which is always exciting and, and kind of, uh, you know, hopeful. There's a lot of messages in science fiction, you know, not, not all of it is hopeful. We've got the dystopian stuff. We've got the, uh, the, the happy stuff that, um, that gives us hope for the future. Um, but I wanted to get, uh, your take on, your background and how you got interested in not only writing science fiction, but maybe your love for kind of some of the fandom stuff that the, that a lot of folks are, are into nowadays. What's that all about? Wow. Well, it started a long, long time ago in the <laughs> galaxy far away. Actually, that was, you know, the sixties uh, and seventies. Uh, I, you know, I started out reading um, Isaac Asimov in the classic science fiction writers as a kid. And actually, I was, uh, um, I remember the moon landings in 1969. And I was a little kid. But uh, I remember they said, they will be coming, stepping out of the lander any minute now. And then we waited four or five <laughs> hours in the middle of the night um, in Ohio, where I was growing up. And, and I did not leave the television set, <laughs> waiting for the Alarm Strong to make his first step. So, so yeah, I, I go way back with that. When I was a kid, I I uh, stayed up all night, figured out how to find the uh, the um, the uh, comet Akia Siki, and um, mm. and actually, then in the eighties, I ground my own telescope uh, mirror, ten inch, and second light was Halley's Comet. So um, yeah, I've got a deep love of, of science and science fiction. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, you know, uh, we mentioned some of the classic authors. Uh, you, you mentioned Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury is another one. Um, what are some of the um, modern uh, science fiction writers that uh, kind of, uh, you know, interest you or kind of uh, give you a little spark uh, in your eye? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try not to diss anyone on anyone's <laughs> list. Uh, I, I, I actually go back to those those early folks in part because there was a belief in hard science, okay. and they wanted to really talk about what the future was. That they thought would happen. So, you know, Ray Bradbury uh, you know, imagined the geosynchronous um, satellite, and you know we have those. Um, so. I think it's harder and harder for science fiction writers to write um, well about the future and yet it, let it last for any amount of time. You know, if you think about the fact that in 2007, we had the iPhone. Um, and so if you wrote a book in 2006, it's probably outdated because you can't imagine how that has transformed your life. So yeah. that makes science fiction really hard, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. And we, exactly. And, and, and that's funny because, uh, I had a friend of mine, one of our followers and friends, um, artist, Sean Crummel, he did have a really interesting question uh, a while back. He had posed the question at what point do some of these, um, science fiction or futuristic devices become obsolete? Like you mentioned the iPhone, um, there are obviously, you know, in the sixties, we had the star Trek communicators, but then at, you know, in the nineties, everybody had the flip phone. It was exactly that. So at what point do authors, um, you know, kind of, uh, either run out of ideas or, or, or what, do, uh, what's the secret there? Like how, how does that happen? <laughs> I'd say it's really hard. Um, I was just yeah. rereading, um, Isaac Asimov's, uh, two main uh, robot novels, you know, the Caves of Steel, the Naked Sun. 
And in those, he talks about loading tapes <laughs> into the mm. device. Okay. Yeah. So it feels really wrong. <laughs> now, <laughs> granted, you know, those are written in the order of, you know, 60 years ago or something, 70 years ago. So yeah, it does age. It's, it's hard to write and make it feel um, uh, concrete and yet not to include details that are, will be wrong. So that's really hard. I mean, uh, let's take, for example, communication, because so much of science fiction talks about communication and transportation, right? We're gonna, mm -hmm, we're gonna right. Do, you know, we're gonna have, well, we're gonna have, you know, faster than light uh, spaceships in both Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah, if you believe Einstein, that ain't gonna happen anytime soon, if ever, right? So, um, so you know, um, you know, beam me up, Scotty, right? You get um, transported by um, some de-molecular process and then reconstitute. Uh, re That's not going to happen. Either. So, but, you know, so communication and transportation tend to be a couple of things. But let's just talk about communication today. Um, you know, we have our ubiquitous, um, you know, cell phones, right? Okay. Um, we, we carry those around all the time and stare at them constantly. What's next? Well, Humane has um, this device. It's been hot in Silicon Valley about the, the demos. You know, you tap it here, it's sort of like a communicator, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's screenless, et cetera. Is that the future? I don't know. Um, I just got one of the Apple Vision Pros, okay? Um, different than glass, which was a complete failure a few years back because it made everyone look even geekier than any of our audience <laughs> wants to be, right? <laughs> but this one, uh, this is very interesting. Um, I think, um, you know, you actually put the device on if anyone hasn't tried it yet, and it's a, a bit pricey, but um, it appears that you're looking through it as if you're looking into the, to the actual environment that you're in. Um, that's actually not true. It is mm. actually what you're seeing is uh, cameras that is taking a picture of what's in front of you. And then you're seeing that reprojected. So actually, there's been some of the reports that describe this as actually being too real. You know, you're going to be mm. sucked into this three world. Um, yeah. I already experienced a little bit. I'm just playing with it. But for example, there's a the meditation app. Uh -huh. You bring up the meditation app. And there is a swirling, this is the standard apple, but there's a swirling ball of seeds that are floating there. Uh, and it's incredibly immersive. I mean, I think it was one of the, um, the best, I don't meditate very much, but it was a med best meditation experience I've ever felt. It felt really authentic and it was very immersive and it doesn't, didn't cause any of the problems that I've experienced with other devices. And I, and I think this is um, revolutionary. I think it's, it's going to change um, how we perceive things. And it's going to, you know, not, maybe not this version, but version three, version four, whatever. Um, and we'll be um, having an augmented reality kind of interface with the world in some fashion. Um, how does that evolve? I don't know. So I just gave you two examples. Oh, there's a third one. There is a... Um, a set of glasses. I saw a Silicon Valley um, VC wearing one of these about four months ago. It looks like a, actually a pair of glasses with the, built in the frames. And you can tap it with your hand and, uh, you know, it takes a picture. Um, you know, this is um, this sort of an idea of a, a wearable glass kind of thing where you can imagine projecting so you have sort of a screen. That makes sense to me. So. So I just gave you three examples of how this technology might evolve from communication slash virtual reality, immersive, the metaverse. And, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a contest of those kinds of things to see what happens this century. So that's hard yeah. science. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I yeah. can't tell you where it's going. So. And it's interesting too, because I think as authors or creative people, uh, you would think that you need to be a little connected to like actual science, uh, you know, papers or publications or even news, uh, you know, channels that uh, talk a little bit about what the science might be in 10, 20, 30 years from now, just to kind of maybe integrate some of those concepts, some of those ideas into your story. So you're a little more up to date or a little more hard science, as you say. Um, 
let, let me backtrack because I didn't ask you, I wanted to ask you what your background was because you seem like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's, uh, what's your background with, with science? Well, I'm, I was very fortunate. I spent um, a career with uh, probably 30 years in Silicon Valley. And I had the good fortune to participate in a, in a lot of the fundamental technologies. These were in strategy and finance roles. Um, by the way, the end of my career, I sort of capped it um, almost at the end with uh, the, the position as chief financial officer at eBay. I took them public in their IPO. And then in their follow-on offering, we raised $1.3 billion in equity. So, and I hung around there for uh, until they were several thousand employees and, you know, $100 billion in, in, in um, stuff being sold and, and, uh, and then went on to other things, including writing. <laughs> uh, but, but leading up to that, um, I had the chance to participate in everything from bioscience, I was in that field for a half dozen years, uh, to computer peripherals, that's hard drives, uh, keyboards, monitors, uh, printers, um, chip design, um, okay. EDA, electronic design automation uh, technologies, uh, streaming video over the internet. Um, this technology that we're using now, um, the company that I was um, CFO of uh, was acquired by Microsoft and became media player. Um, and I, did, I actually even did high tech windmills and a few others. So I had, I had the chance to go uh, into these technologies hands-on and that really does inform how I think about a lot of these technologies mm. out there. So um, I think that's I think that's really helpful to uh, um, a science fiction writer to understand what is most likely to happen. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously, it it informs the decisions that you make when it comes to creating, you know, what the kind of a pseudo fictional world. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about your book, Unfettered Journey. Um, what uh, you know? What was the impetus of of, uh, of starting that book? Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, the book is primarily focused on two protagonists. Um, mm -hmm. The first protagonist is uh, is an AI scientist uh, named Joe. Uh, this takes place in the year 2161, roughly 140 years in the future. And um, Joe's job is to create true consciousness in robots. And he's stymied. It's just such a hard problem. And so he goes off to a, a small college and takes a sabbatical. And then um, <laughs> things ensue. So, so I use that, that venue in the year 2161 because I think it's far enough in the future that we can say a few things about what will happen based upon long-term trends. You know, I can't tell you what will happen um, tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and you wake up in the morning and it's, you know, what is it, 2022 and Putin's invaded Ukraine, right? So, um, <laughs> right, you know, right. things happen every day. The world is nonlinear, but, but we can maybe make some predictions about what is, you know, highly likely um something will replace our iphone um robots mm. will become finally finally um not only important but ubiquitous i think in that much time and um you know bioscience is going to be phenomenally impactful on um on humanity um but will probably be less noticed in many ways than the effect of robots so um there's a lot about this book that focuses on that about robots and those questions around can they be conscious um, and um, and what is life likely to to be like then and in that future how do we find purpose and meaning when there'll be so many jobs that are going away mm, interesting yeah um in 19 in in the late uh mid to late 90s i was covering a press conference uh here in chicago it had to do with the consumer electronics show and there was a gentleman uh from mit who uh i was talking to i was very fascinated with his uh with his conversation um that had nothing to do with the ces show but he was from mit and i was kind of just chit-chatting with him and he uh started talking to me about 
some work that they were doing, um, growing neurons on computer chips. And this was in the mid nineties. And they said, you know, we were doing a lot of, uh, research and, and, uh, development on, on, on that type of science. And he was talking about, you had just tapped your, sh your, your, your chest, almost like a communicator, but he did the same thing and said, you know, we'll be able to maybe have, um, communication technology in, implanted in the back of our uh, our ear and we can just you know the phone rings and we can just tap the back of our ear and and, and answer it um so it's funny because what you're saying is not far off what he was saying in, in in the 90s i just recently found an article um about the continued work that they are con you know still doing um with that technology um as a science fiction writer do you take into account um you know, stories like this almost being cautionary tales, does that contribute to the excitement or does that contribute to the, I guess, the, the fear that mankind might have uh, about moving forward with the technology? Mm -hmm. Well, there's certainly a lot of uh, dystopian science fiction out there, right? I yeah, mean, sure. there's a lot of these technologies where you start to imagine the worst cases or you take the, the curve and you imagine it goes to the exp exponential extreme of the absurd result, and that's a, that's a science fiction book. Um, I think that the reality will be more along the lines of us trying to muddle through, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, let, let's, let's pick on your example again. I, I think that's a great one. So let me pick an endpoint. I, I, we talked about three different types of communication technology and that we uh, that are developed today developing and how they might go so in 140 years what will those look like in unfettered journey i imagine that um, you know joe has this device where you know, where's his phone well his phone is indeed a chip implanted here and it's connected you know sort of with the future bluetooth to uh, an implant in his that acts like a little screen and the internet or the net at that time uh, means that he can just talk to it using voice and he just says where's the closest pizza joint <laughs> and and it you know just as uh we can get sure. that information and do a look up now and what it does is it uh, does an overlay of a little red line on his cornea like a map that points him in the right way to walk that's in the in the book that's uh, entitled an armo an augmented reality map mm. overlay okay can you imagine that technology absolutely in fact you know what what is google doing with google maps sure. you can go to paris you can go to the champs elysees you can pull up a you know a tour online now imagine you're doing that today and you're walking down the champs elysees holding up your phone in your hand and it points to a baguette shop and it and it says this is the you know the highest rating baguette shop in paris and you walk in cha-ching um that shop has paid google some money right mm, because yeah. they can prove that you walked in as a result of their map and that ad so you can imagine that the development of mapping together with this stuff can easily lead to many billions of dollars that's why companies are developing this sorts of technology today. So the point is, is that we have economics that will drive this kind of development. And you know, I think that what I just described um, in terms of this future replacement for the cell phone is something like that's probable. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, uh, you know, Scotty from Star Trek is always known for saying, you know, use the right tool for the right job. And I think, uh, you know, as as an author, um, it's almost uh, it's almost um, it might be too strong of a concept. You're like it's almost your responsibility to kind of maybe present these ideas and these concepts um, for your audience to be able to to really kind of think outside the box. I think any science fiction story uh should be able to do that uh in in a creative way in a way that um makes humanity kind of you know think about the future and not be you know too fatalistic or or you know loss of hope um but yeah that i mean that's pretty but, cool um yeah but, go ahead some of, some of them uh, the road are 
really concerning. Let's just talk about AI today, right? I mean, that's the right, yeah. of the moment. And um, yeah, I think AI, I think AI is going to be dramatically impactful in this next decade. Okay. Um, I have a, I have maybe a, I'll call it a split view in how that will evolve uh, going forward here. And it's maybe a little bit different than a lot of other people, but if, you, uh, if I could share that with uh, you and the audience, I think that's great. As a really, uh, really important example today, what's going on. So, um, so AI, um, you know, huge amount of hype, right? Mm -hmm, <laughs> we're yeah. we're, it's, it's, it's crazy today, right? Um, you know, we're talking about trillion dollar, seven trillion dollar investments in AI uh, in the next few years. Well, you try to pencil that out in terms of returns, that doesn't seem like it'll make, make sense. Uh, you know, the, uh, the entire um, broadband industry, I think, invested on the order of a trillion dollars 20 years ago. And then they spent the last 20 years playing catch up to actually fill all of that broadband that they that they created then they didn't get a return on it. Uh, finally, things like Netflix and all the streaming has been able to fill that out. So that's the largest um, tech investment of that sort in prior history. So I'm a little doubtful it'll, it'll go that much. And in particular, I'm a little doubtful that it will pay off. So yeah. let, let's talk about the technology itself though. Uh, how, how will it transform things? Yes, it's it will transform um, jobs and our life in many ways. Uh, some of you are probably already playing with Copilot and the and perplexity is now the uh, search of the moment. Um, if anyone's downloaded perplexity, it's it's actually pretty powerful. It's like Google search, but with actual footnotes, <laughs> which is mm. great. Uh, so that game is being played by all the big gorillas about uh, staying on top. Um, I'm actually um, um, uh, mentoring and advising a uh, startup founder in this field. He was with DeepMind, and now he's got his own weather AI company. And I think it's um, uh, it's showing some tremendous promise in terms of predicting the weather better uh, than all of the existing kinds of technologies. So mm -hmm. yes, this will be transformative. Um, um, will it? Um, Will it hit another wall, another AI winter? We've had something like three of those before in the past. Um, one in the 80s, one in the 90s, one around the year 2000, where there was lots of hype and then there was a crash because the technology didn't quite live up to the expectation. I, I think that's that's um, a probability too, that, that people will be, um, be disappointed by some of the results uh, they'll be that'll be caused by hallucinations as they talk about in terms of the technology. That's uh, <laughs> that's the, the software lying to you, right? <laughs> Giving you these crazy answers. And so um, I think that's important. And I think the idea that uh, you know the AIs are suddenly going to become conscious, they're going to take over. Those are all just uh, malarkey. <laughs> someone said. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask you how, yeah. how it works. So how the technology mm -hmm. works. So. Yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, is artificial intelligence actually intelligent? Will, will we be, uh, will we get taken over by the T-1000? <laughs> yeah. That's the, the Terminator, <laughs> uh, um, right. Script, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they get suddenly become conscious and then they or are smart enough. They kill us all. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now let's let maybe let's talk about how the technology works. What's it really doing inside that black box? Because it is a black box. So, um, as an example, let's think about um, translation software. You know, Google Translate. You you mm -hmm. put in um, a phrase in English and it translates it to Spanish. Um, back in the old days, you know, uh, over a decade ago, the way that technology worked is that. Um, you know, the company would hire a bunch of grammarians and computer um, programmers and put them in the room. And then they would translate the rules of grammar and translating from English to Spanish, right? So you would do all that stuff. You'd write that code, it's symbolic code, just like um, the programs that we've been writing for uh, decades since the beginning of the computer age. Um, and so it takes the English as an input 
and then it um, runs it through the, the uh, algorithm and out comes Spanish. That's how it used to work. Then these AI models got better and better. And I think what they did is that they found there was a great um, uh, base of rich data, uh, for example, from the United Nations. You know, every day there are speeches given and they're transla translated into multiple languages by some of the best translators in the world. So uh, they took, in that case, the input language, they took the output. So that's different. Now. You've got the input and output. You let the AI create the black box in the middle. You let it figure out the, uh, the, the, the grammar rules. And it turned out that was much better. Hmm. And so they replaced all of those programmers and grammarians. They didn't need them anymore. Uh, yeah. And that's how it all worked. So, so that's AI. So what's happening in the middle there of that black box? Um, so what's happening is that there are a couple important algorithmic uh, techniques used. One is called um, gradient descent, and another is back propagation or back prop. So what happens is they start with the input, the English. Or let me use a, a simpler example. They use um, some pictures that are either cats or not cats, okay? <laughs> and at the output, and they've labeled all these pictures. So in the output, we know in advance whether it's a cat or not. Okay, and the answer is either cat, yes or no. And mm -hmm. so they let the model crank through, and of course it's all random at first because you set all these variables randomly, mm -hmm. and it, it gets most of them wrong. And then what you do is you run these out these AI algorithms that then. Um, go backwards through backpropagation and this technique called gradient descent to rejigger the, the variables on these levels of a hierarchy in between the model. And it turns out by doing that a gazillion times, um, it actually, uh, the, 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 the model uh, uh, comes to recognize the right um, variables on each of those many, 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 many um, variables. And it can predict whether that's a cat or not. Mm. So what's happening mathematically? I, I mentioned gradient descent. Mm -hmm. um, the think, think about a, um, a mathematically a two-dimensional piece of paper where you've draw, drawn a, um, a parallelogram, uh, a, excuse me, a, an ellipse. And mathematically, you can find the minimum of that ellipse by taking a derivative. And um, so you know where the minimum is. That's a two-dimensional de uh, description. If we now imagine we did that in three dimensions, right? So now we've got a, a landscape and you've got hills and valleys. And some of those, um, and we're trying to find the lowest point on this landscape. And uh, let's say there are some... Um, valleys that are pretty low, but they're not the lowest. The lowest one would be called the global minimum. And that's a three-dimensional um, uh, mathematical landscape. And so you can, again, take derivatives and you can find the lowest points. And that's what the AI is doing. It's using gradient descent, that is descending these gradients in a space uh, to find those minimum. Now, you realize it might get stuck in a local minimum and not find the global minimum, but it's mm -hmm. it's going to go through this and try to find those. So that's that's mathematically what the AI is doing. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, chat GPT-4, I mean, we have we have approaching a trillion dimensions, mm -hmm. not two or three, but right. a trillion. And so what's happening when the models run is it's an enormous amount of computing to compute all of those minimums to try to find the right answer in all of that data. And we can't imagine that many dimensions. We can't move through it. But once you run the model, you have sort of a frozen answer, if you will. All you have is just this set of variables that are now frozen. So, Ro, that's a very long answer to your question. The model, when it's done, is inert. 
it's finished. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. So that's a very different way to think about these models, because if you pull up ChatGPT and you ask it a question and it responds, and you ask another question, you can seem like you're getting into a conversation with it, but it's not doing anything in real time. It's just it's just extracting a, a an inert frozen response from this model, which has all of those variables prior set. That's interesting. And that definitely uh, would, uh, you know, maybe dispel some rumors that artificial intelligence is intelligent. I guess uh, what you're saying is that it just takes, it has all the answers or all the responses there, just depending on what you ask is what it uh, brings back. And it's not thinking about it to formulate an answer. It's just looking at all the data and saying this, probably what he's looking for. I'll show you this. Something like that? Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So so as as an example, um, I um, well there was a, there was a, um, a a New York Times uh, journalist that um, a year ago, you know, a few months after ChatGPT first came out, um, went on and started to ask it questions, and the journalist wrote this uh, wrote this article that was sort of a little terrifying to some people. Uh, it was suggesting. That, Geez, this this AI seems like it's um, conscious or something. Something's going on in there. Well, why was that? Why would it? If you start asking it questions about are you conscious, etc. These are the early models before they try to fix those things. Um, uh, my guess is uh, if you ask any, um, if you look for databases in all of human literature looking for um, conscious robots, AIs, that sort of thing, you'll find a whole lot of science fiction, right? Right, uh, sure. In 2000. Huh. And in all those stories, a lot of them, the, the robots turn out to, to not be so good. So you can imagine that the AI got stuck in some subfield where it's giving answers that uh, emulate um, these stories, right? So, right. so uh, that's all it is. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. So let me ask you, getting back to your book, um, as an author, obviously all authors have certain um, challenges when they are writing their stories, writing the narrative there. Um, I, I would, I would assume that science fiction writing is a little unique where, you know, you do kind of have to incorporate, you know, technology and description of environment, et cetera, et cetera. What uh, what were some of the challenges in writing Unfettered Journey for you? Some of the challenges. Um, it was <laughs> actually it was trying to create realistic uh, conflict um, in this future. I mean, there's lots of conflict, but how do you make it thematic, if you will? So, so um, in this world, in roughly 140 years. Um, there are lots of robots, there aren't enough jobs. And that points to something I think is a real problem is that think about how this century that will, that will occur. Um, I mean, we, we see robots already sort of coming along, you know, there's the Boston dynamics dancing robots, right. you know, we've got, um, in, there's been some the reports, I think it was half a dozen years ago, one of the major global consulting companies said by 2050, 90% of the jobs will be gone. Well, I don't think that's right either. I think it's going to take a long time for this technology to evolve and it will take a long time for it to become incorporated into our life. Um, and, but I think it's inevitable. I think it's going to continue to get better and better. There'll be technology, there'll be economics that drive it. You know, the military will pay for, for robots to fight wars so that people, soldiers won't die. Uh, so it will happen. They'll get better and better. And at some point they'll become ubiquitous, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they'll be walking around among us. They'll be waiters. Um, so that's going to happen. Um, I think at some point, and when that happens, then the jobs go away pretty quickly mm -hmm. and then, um, folks won't have a job. So, so one question is how does that transition happen where we have a capitalist system based on markets and, you know, individuals, um, can own companies. 
who owns the robot factories, right? <laughs> how does that right. happen? Who owns them? How do we transition that over? So, so, um, so in my book, I've got this uh, conceit that what happened, uh, you know, in, around the year 2100, thereabout, is that um, the most of the world, as the jobs went away, they found egalitarian answers to how this would develop. You know, we're going to have lots of stuff. Robots will make a lot of stuff. Who owns the means of production? It's, you know, it's, it's more shared. But in the United States, we, we had, uh, because we have a society based so much on uh, individual ownership, that what happened was that the uh, robot factories became nationalized, but in uh, exchange, the, uh, the, there was put in place a series of levels acts and the levels acts created levels where you had a level from one at the top to 99 at the bottom. <laughs> and and um, everyone was assigned a level supposedly that they were based upon merit and you could move up and down levels, but you had a level, <laughs> okay? And so that's the conceit in my book. And, uh, you know, we have these levels <laughs> and, um, and some people don't think that the levels are quite as meritocratic as uh, are advertised. So. Oh, that's funny. Wow. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the military is going to pay for robots to go to war. I'll definitely pay for a robot to uh, do the dishes and take out the trash. So uh, my <laughs> wife will stop asking me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, I, I had mentioned to you a while back, uh, you know, regarding robots. And every day, you know, I went to a Mexican restaurant in the hood and, you know, the um the floor plan the floor plan was laid out in a way that uh i was surprised when i walked in there was a robot that came to greet me and uh sat me at the table and brought my food but it's interesting because the wait staff still had to accompany the robot to take the food off of the the uh platter where the robot was holding it to put it on my um you know uh table um but it is interesting how far we've come uh, from uh, the imaginations of authors to the reality of scientists. And uh, I think science fiction is one of those genres that really, um, you know, inspires uh, people to, you know, think outside the box and uh, think about, you know, our own future uh, besides the future of, of, uh, of the story that they're writing. Um, so, I so think Ro, are you optimistic or pessimistic for the future? I'm, I'm curious because you you interview yeah. lots of guests and you know you've got yeah lots of and what do you think? I mean, it's funny because you know, as a science fiction fan, a fan of of, of the genre, we uh, we get to see you know both sides. Obviously, that the there are the cautionary tales like the Terminator and the T1000s and stuff like that, but I'll also you know obviously the Star Trek stories where uh, you know, there are scientific advancements that uh, will allow mankind to go out and, you know, not wage war, but uh, wage exploration and uh, and be hopeful for mankind's future. So I think um, I think with good must come the bad. I think uh, I think that's just the nature of our reality and the nature of humanity. There's always going to be someone that's going to piss in your cereal, uh, so to speak. So. <laughs> Yes. I think, um, you know, if if we I don't know if we kind of uh, take these cautionary tales to to heart and um, understand what we're seeing when it comes to change and, uh, you know, ask ourselves uh, not only, you know, is this right? But, you know, I'll, I'll quote that uh, line in Jurassic Park, just because we can do it, does it mean that we should? Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I think, you know, the, 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 the line in Jurassic Park obviously had to deal with, uh, you know, creating a technology to be able to bring back uh, life that is extinct. Um, but you know, that's the other thing too. I mean, you know, cloning of sheep or cloning of, uh, brontosauruses. I mean, where do we draw the line? Yeah. I'm cloning of humans. Um, where do we right. draw the line? Exactly. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, um, you know, you and I, and actually a lot of the fans here, we, we, we like science fiction, we like the Star Wars, we like the Star Trek, because they are hopeful about what humanity can do together. And 
you know, we, we, we all hope to encourage that sort of um, view on the, the value of the commons, right? That we're all collectively trying to move ahead, the human species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, there will be those bad actors <laughs> that, that uh, are fairly self-interested. And uh, you know, sometimes we, we see more of those in the world and it makes um, us all a little bit more anxious about what the future might be. And uh, yeah. we just uh, sort of hope that um, the good will win out, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm always hopeful that uh, that we will boldly go, uh, and uh, in a, in every sense of the word or or the concept, uh, you know, we um, we can't go backwards by stumbling on uh, the concepts of the future, but I think we should, uh, you know, use that technology responsibly. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah and, and I and I think and I think um, so. Here's my why I'm focused on hard science in terms of thinking about the future. Is that a while ago we st- talked about how hard it is, and you know I used the example of the iPhone, and your stories would be wrong. And sometimes I think that um, science fiction writers then sort of take the easy way out. <laughs> they write fantasy. They write about dragons and. Stuff mm. that is obviously not in our future, and but I think it's important to go back to thinking about is what is um, what are the scenarios that are more likely, and what are the real challenges, so that then we can help focus people's attention on solving those real problems, right? Yeah, <laughs> because the problems are going to be, I would argue, harder in this century than they have been in the crazy century we just finished, right? So, yeah. so it's not going to get easier. Um, and, and so it's gonna take some discipline and focus. And I think um, Levin with a lot of hope and um, aspirations. I mean, we have the ability to um, actually achieve some of those utopian um, scenarios, right? There's gonna be a lot of stuff sure. in the future. People have a lot of, a lot of um, material wealth and and the ability to have good health with the bioscience, uh, live long, far longer lives, healthy, health with, with great health longer in their lives. Um, you know, we'll have um, a greater ease in our life because of all the technology. Um, if we can figure out how to um, organize society so that um, it's fair, <laughs> and sure, yeah. uh, then, um, you know, there's some great hope for the future, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a once uh, a great philosopher once said, "With great power comes great responsibility." <laughs> That's right. I wonder who said uh, that. <laughs> Uncle Uncle Ben Uncle Ben from the Spider-Man uh, stories, but um, <laughs> still a wise uh, concept. And I think that's uh, that's funny. That's one of the things that um, that really interests me too, as far as uh, you know. Uh, the geek culture, the nerd culture, there are a lot of uh, life lessons, a lot of uh, really, you know, great little tidbits that uh, that will make you, you know, really think, uh, you know, from Yoda's do or do not to, uh, you know, to, to Spider-Man's, uh, you know, great responsibility line. I think that's one of the cool things about uh, about this um, genre in general that uh, that is definitely worth uh, examining and and not uh, you know brushing off as uh, you know pulp fiction or, or kitty stuff. Um, because- and, and, and one of the things that is a main theme in my book is the concept that as we have um, ubiquitous robots, we then have far fewer jobs. Mm-hmm. And and then how does each of us find meaning and purpose in that um, technological world? Right, because we right. can't. We can't go backward to some kind of um, technology-less, natural um, sort of um, ludite past. It's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah, and I, you know, and this is what fascinates me about Star Trek in general: just the the ability to, you know, we've worked uh, on ourselves and the technology to be able to afford us ourselves the time to uh, to search for growth, internal growth, spiritual growth. Um, knowledge and things like that, instead of, you know, you know, working nine to five for one purpose and just kind of losing yourself in, in that aspect of, of life. Um, and obviously, you know, we're not, you know, 
we're not in the future yet. We all need our nine to five. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I think it's I think it's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and in fact, uh, Unfettered Journey has that as part of the theme too. It's uh, the book has won fourteen book awards, oh, including nice. um, you know a, a, the best um, spiritual uh, fiction, um, best adult fiction, best science fiction, and um, it won the Eric Hoffer Award for um, uh, with, who is a famous American philosopher because of the philosophical elements in the book. So, yeah, I think yeah. that these these uh, philosophical questions around consciousness, around you know what is the essence of us as humans, and how does that differ than robots and our machines? Yeah. Those are all really important themes for this century. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, why don't you tell folks uh, in the chat where to uh, pick up your book? And I, obviously, I will have a uh, a link in the description below. Um, and um, I'm going to click that link right away grab a copy but why don't you tell folks where people can find it sure um, you can find unfettered journey um, around the world and everywhere you buy books it's in eight languages wow. um, and uh, they said it's won 14 book awards uh, and you can find me at garyfvenger.com my author website very so, nice uh, yep yeah, pick up a copy i really appreciate it Excellent. Yes, definitely will. And uh, maybe I'll buy two and uh, give one away to somebody in the chat. So stay tuned for that. That would be awesome. Um, Gary, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Like I said, we uh, we don't just talk fake fiction, fake science. We talk real science and uh, you'll only get that here at the Scare of podcast. Excellent. Gary, thank you so much. I hope you have a good night and uh, thank everybody in the chat for uh, participating tonight and listening to us talk uh, about uh, science and uh, pick up a copy of Unfettered Journey wherever you get your books uh, and uh, let us know how it is. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely be uh, grabbing a, a copy and uh, doing a little giveaway because that uh, that'll be amazing. Excellent. All right, guys, until next time, enjoy the rest of the evening until next time. That's the scuttlebutt. Talk to you guys later.